morning. You're listening to WNHHLP 103.5 FM, New Haven's home for community radio. Also streaming live on newhavenindependent.org. This is Mubaraka Ibrahim, and I want to welcome you to Mornings with Mubaraka. And we are back this morning. So I was on a little vacation for my listeners. You may have noticed that the last couple of weeks was a replay of a couple of shows because I went on vacation, but I am back. I am back and I have an awesome guest talking to us this morning. Um, It is Wednesday morning and you know it's Wednesday morning because this is your Wednesday morning voice. And I want to welcome you to the show where we talk about national issues from a local level through a lens of diversity. And today, for all of you readers out here, I have an amazing writer that we're going to talk to today. Um, And I want to thank you, Umjuria Mariam, for joining me. Thank you for joining me. Is she there? I'm here. I hear you. Okay, awesome. Thank you for joining me. Um, You're welcome, alhamdulillah. Thank you for having me. So, Umjuria Mariam Sullivan is an award-winning poet, playwright, and the author of the first English urban Muslim fiction book, The Size of a Mustard Seed. Her other books include Hen's Hand, A Story About Autism, The Princess and the Good Deed, Tried and Tested, and Do Out this fall, Yassine's Big Dream. Outside of the writing world, Um Umjuria is an international educator, operates her own online tutoring service, and is the founder and director of Muslim Girls Read, a literacy initiative geared towards inner-city Muslim youth. She holds a bachelor's degree with honors from Bay Path College, a master's degree with honors from Regis University, and is currently an educational leadership doctoral student. I am um, very familiar with her work because we ha- I've known her for a while and I follow her on Facebook. Everybody can follow her on Facebook as well. You can go to um, the um, Mornings with Mubaraka uh, Facebook page or um, the New Haven Independent Facebook page and you can find her through there. So I want to thank you for joining me. Mariam. Let me start. I always like to start off with guests to find out a little bit about their background and how they came to arrive to where they are. So tell us, mm-hmm. uh, tell us a little bit about um, your background growing up and at what point did you realize you want to be a writer? Well, um, my background, yeah, my background growing up, um, I, was I was born and raised Muslim. Um, my parents are both from Harlem, New York, and uh, I think I've definitely had a lot to do with um, my upbringing, them growing up in New York, um, in Harlem, which is a hub for, um, you know, black leadership and black literature and, and poetry and all of those different things that my parents seen growing up, and then adding the Islam into it when my father became Muslim, um, in the late 60s, and then my mother in, in the early 70s, um, and then growing up in a very close-knit community of Muslims, it allowed me to um, have a very rich upbringing and, and meet all types of Muslims from all over the world, um, but especially indigenous 
American Muslims, African American, Latinos, um, American Muslims. So growing up, that was my background. And, and then on top of that, I had the, the influence of, um, my parents' lives, uh, growing up in Harlem, um, with the literature background. I've, I've always been enamored with books. Books were my first best friends. I loved going to the library and, and reading, and my parents took me all the time. And then we had activities, and, 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 and we would put on shows growing up, We would, for, especially for the eat. You know, we would have these shows, and, you know, uh, people would do poetry, and people, sisters would sing, would, you know, write songs about Allah, or write songs about the Prophet, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. So um, it was my background. It's definitely what I seen and what I heard uh, moving through going to school, high school, I went to public school. So going to, you know, elementary school and, and high school and then college later on, one thing that really stuck out to me was that every time I looked to reach for a book, I could never really find myself in those stories. Mm. And so early on, um, I would say that the first story that I, I really wrote through to the end um, was in the fifth grade where I put in the story intentionally, you know, and it, it was on my heart to put a Muslim character in the story. Mm. So when, it, so you actually wrote your first book in fifth grade? Yes. And I still have it. Oh, wow. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so you knew very early on that you wanted to, to write so that you can see yourself and other people can see them. Other Muslim uh, women can see themselves inside of the books. Yeah. So, yeah. and you know, this has been a an an interesting topic um, in the news and uh, seeing lots of things on social media about the importance of being able to see yourself reflected in not just television but the arts and things like that. So, what what is your mm -hmm. take on uh, how important is that when you have so for so I, an example I'll use is. Um, it was a, a really interesting comment from the gentleman who made Spider-Man, right? So there was a, um, mm -hmm. I, I, I read a, um, an article about people saying, you know, Spider-Man should be black, right? The new Spider-Man, you should put mm -hmm. a black character. And the, the gentleman who wrote the, who wrote Spider-Man, he said that, Spider-Man wears a mask intentionally so that every mm -hmm. person can see themselves in him. So that's why he didn't feel like it was necessary to actually make uh, Peter Parker himself a different ethnicity because Spider-Man is completely covered. Do you think that that, right. that matters for people to actually see uh, uh, someone like them inside of characters? Can you repeat that last part again? Do you think that, it, think ma that, that it matters that people see people like themselves inside of the characters that they see, they watch and that they read? What is your take on that? Yeah, I, I think in a way, yes. Um, you know, I grew up on the Judy Blooms and, you know, and, and I love those books in, in uh, the Babysitter's Club. And, you know, those were, those were fantastic books. And I did try to uh, put myself in, in the characters, and I definitely feel like um, if you're a reader, once you start to develop the love of reading, um, it doesn't matter if it's, if it's a good story, you are going to be pulled into the story. However, I definitely feel like it's powerful to give that character, a character in a book, 
um, some cultural relevance because there's a whole segment of society that will benefit from seeing and connecting to characters organically. Because the other side is is you're talking about um, just daydreaming and putting yourself into a story and taking over the character. That happens naturally as you're reading sometime. However, it's really important for characters to organically connect with their readers. And that comes through diversity. Mm-hmm. So I see definitely, and I agree with what, um, and I have done exactly what um, with the Spider-Man situation. I can definitely read a story and connect to it and put myself um, into the story through my mind, through daydreaming and things like that. But I think it's even more powerful when you have an organic connection, when the character is diverse and you're talking about some cultural artifacts of different cultures that people can um, bite into and recognize their, their life in that story. Mm. One, of the, one of the things that I think, um, and in, in me following uh, you and following uh, the, the Muslim literature um, in general, is I think you were one of the first people who actually produced a, uh, a fictional novel based around uh, African-American Muslim. Um, and yeah. So it, it's a fairly, so what, what is that, 10, 10 years ago? When was your size? Yeah, it's been 10 years. So, and over that last 10 years, there's been several other people who have, who have began to write this. So is this like, is it a genre in itself now? I believe it is. I definitely feel like, you know, uh, besides Mustard Seed was the introduction. And we actually did um, um, submit the, um, the genre to the American Library Association um, of Urban Muslim Fiction. So the size of mustard seed was the first book to be titled underneath that genre. Okay. And, and, and tell our, tell our listeners, what is this, what is the size of a mustard seed about? This, uh, well, the size of the mustard seed was my, my debut novel that came out, um, 10 years ago. And it was about, it was loosely based on life, uh, in Western Massachusetts and Connecticut. Cause that's where I grew up. I was born in Springfield, Massachusetts. So um, when you read that book, um, you definitely will, 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 if you're from the area, you'll, you'll, you'll see some um, familiar cities and states and names and places of streets and things like that. Um, but it was about a, a young Muslim girl right after 9-11 who was a hair stylist working in a Muslim hair salon, and she, she was dealing with the trauma of 9-11 and dealing with her, her community changing and addressing some of the issues that came up um, in the Muslim community that they had to address after 9-11, which was um, protection, security. Um, a lot of families who had children who were maybe on the college campuses, maybe they, they told them to come home and commute because they didn't feel that their children were safe being so far away from home. Um, and then also some families feeling like, okay, you should get married if you're, you know, if you're a young woman, perhaps you should get married if you're already living on your own so that you will have that sort of protection. So she was trying, her parents and, and people in the community were, you know, trying to pressure her to uh, be interested in, in one particular Muslim brother who was very well respected in the community. He was an imam. And then at the same time, she was trying to um, 
on her own organically um, fall in love. And that's something that, you know, a lot in, in the America, we don't discuss um, mm. love that Muslim women encounter and how that looks for us as American Muslim women, which is different than um, some of the immigrant communities and how they address um so immigrant is different in immigrant Muslim and communities and courting and all of those different subjects. Okay. It, so, so the, the, the way what you try to, um, um, show is the difference of a Muslim, a Muslim American finding love versus an immigrant American finding love. What is the, so you, you, you talked about, you mentioned a lot of things in this story. And I have to say, one of the things about your story is they are very rich. It's always, it's not always one issue or mm-hmm. one, the, the person dealing with one thing. So it's a very rich, how do you find the inspiration to your story? How do you develop these characters that have these intersections of, of issues and of lives and you put it all together? What makes you develop the characters in the way that you do? Um, i be honest with you. Um, I, I hear the characters first. You know, I heard in my mind, you know, um, I journal every day. I, I try to write something um, every day, whether it's just, you know, uh, an ayah from Quran, a verse from Quran, or um, I'm reading or a hadith and I'll, I'll write my own reflection on that. Or I'll, I'll see, you know, something that happens at the, you know, on the street or at my job or something like that or something that happens in my own life. And I'll write it down and make some um, reflections on that. So I keep those things and I, you know, I go back through my journals. Um, I'm one of those type of people. So I, I read, read my own journals. And um, sometimes from that, it will spark something else. But sometimes, um, like what uh, my, my newest novel, Tried and Tested, that really just... Um, the character came to me and, and I heard the, the character's issue and I wrote it down. And, and from there, I kind of just fleshed out the rest of the bones of the story. Do you, um, do you so ever develop a character? Like, do you ever develop a character and you come up with something and you're just like, no, this can't be her issue. I have to take her, take this out. No, no, they, they're just very clear mm-hmm. to you and what they need to do and what their issues are. Yeah. Oh, okay. Absolutely. Awesome. Absolutely. Always from the beginning. <laughs> wow. Wow. <laughs> the um, because I noticed with the description of the uh, tried and tested, that too is a very complex character. Like she right. has issues that she has to work through. And so she's really, really complex. When you say that they come to you, is it kind of like as you're writing in your journal? So how does that happen? And you just kind of like say, you know, this is a, do you, do you concern yourself about whether or not you are creating a character that people can relate to? That's my first question. My second question is, when you develop your characters, do you ever do research, right? So if you've never, your new character in Tried and Tested has some issues with alcohol, do you speak to mm-hmm. people who have had issues with alcohol? Do you research characters like that? Absolutely. Um, so Tried and Tested, her name is Iman Johnson. And again, she definitely spoke to me. She told me her story. I heard most of the story in one day in my mind. Mm. And I started writing. Um, the drug addict, the alcohol, the drugs, the 
um, I saw the husband. I saw the um, the abuse, the domestic violence. I saw her running. I saw her fighting. And those types of just sketches of what is happening, I, I see it as I see it as 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 a movie. It just flashes before me, kind of, sort of, I guess. And I go from there. Um, and for the research, once I, I really start to write down what I was feeling in, in, in the visions that I was having for Iman, um, I definitely had to do a lot of research. I actually put out on different groups on Facebook, you know, if you, um, and it wasn't just for Muslims. I just talked to a lot, lots of people. I joined groups for um, alcohol, alcohol anonymous groups. I, grow, I, I joined groups for domestic violence, and um, people started to talk to me. I did phone calls with people. I did. I went to the library. I, I researched on bipolar disorder because one of the characters has bipolar disorder, and I was able to speak to a Muslim sister who is um, dealing with that disorder as well. I spoke to a couple of sisters who are recovering alcoholics, Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I took my, my recorder and I took notes. I went to the library. I read. Um, so there's a lot of research um, that goes into the books. There's also different languages. There's different characters who speak Spanish in the story. So um, I think the uh, Dominican Republic, Puerto Rico. Wow. So a lot of a lot of research. What's really interesting is that I think that one of the things that um, you point out in your stories Uh, for people to read, particularly people who are not familiar with Muslims. I think it gives a humanness to the Muslim community that every Mm -hmm. issue uh, Muslims deal with, too. You know, that Muslims have, there are Muslims who are recovering alcoholics. There are Muslims that Mm -hmm. have mental health issues. There are Muslims that, you know, have problems with their kids and their husband and domestic violence. They deal, everybody Mm -hmm. deals with it in different ways, but to know that this kind of like is in every Muslim community as well as, um, you know, what's in the average American society um, or an average American city. I think that that's a, a really, um, helpful and it's very powerful in narrating um and telling the story of being muslim in america um when mm-hmm. you when you hear some of the stories do you incorporate scenarios that you that you hear that people tell you in inside of your stories um i try not to i, I really just um like i said I, I really have the bones of the story when i'm writing mm-hmm. um and what I use it for is to, for facts. Um, when I was talking about uh, Iman Johnson, she was dealing with PTSD, and, and I was saying to one of the sisters that I was talking to, um, and I would let them read portions of what I had already written, and we had a really good discussion on, was she an alcoholic or was she uh, um, still suffering from PTSD? Was, was the alcohol the issue? or was the trauma from the domestic violence the issue? Mm-hmm. So that was a really good conversation that I had and, and, and that I was able to get clarification from people who had lived that situation. And what mm-hmm. they had told me was is that she, the main issue with Iman was the PTSD from the trauma of the domestic violence and that alcohol was her coping mechanism mm-hmm. rather than her being a full-fledged alcoholic. 
Wow. Okay. And so from that line, I was able to, to have her deal with that, deal with the trauma of the abuse and confront the abuser. And that we'll see in the story um, is our, our path, our, our line and uh, the arch for the story where, where it, it, it comes to a head, um, mm. dealing with the trauma mm. in, in order to deal with the alcoholism. If you're just tuning in, you're listening to WNHH 103.5 FM, New Haven's home for community radio, also streaming live on newhavenindependent.org. You're listening to Mornings with Mubaraka, where we talk about national issues from a local level through a lens of diversity. And today we are talking to award-winning writer, Um Julia Mariam Sullivan, who has, uh, who has, pioneered the new genre of urban Muslim fiction. And um, she's taken us through kind of like the, the process of how she develops the richness of her characters. And um, I, it's really, really fascinating. Um, I've never written a novel. I don't think ever. No, nah, I never written a novel. I, I used to write some poems, but I've never written a novel. So this is really, really interesting. Um, so, and now you have, so the, with the books like Tried and Tested and, and The Size of a Mustard Seed, what are you aiming for adult fiction readers? What is the, the age range? Is there a gender range? What's your, the people who, read, who, the, who these books are written for? Um, I, I, I try to aim to keep the story, um, I guess, PG-13, so 13 okay. and up. I know for myself, my own reading diet was rich. Um, and I definitely got into more adult novels in high school. Um, when you're talking about urban fiction, people like Omar Tyree and, um, Diane Mapool and Terry McMillan's and things like that. Those were some of, uh, uh, you know, my earlier reading diets. And of course, the, the, your, 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 um, classics, you know, uh, mm-hmm. literature, um, with Zora Neale Hurston. And, um, and then as I, I got into, um, grad school where I I studied literature and writing education, Um, just reading, my reading diet was very um, diverse myself. So I really do try to keep the the level of of story broad that I can can talk to the youth and I can talk to the adults as well. So definitely urban Muslim fiction, and not just for myself, but the other sisters and brothers who are writing in this genre, I would say that it's it's geared towards um, your teenage crowd and up. Okay. Now, you do have a couple of books that you've written for a younger crowd. Um, You Mm -hmm. um, have one that is specifically about autism, and I know that that you have a child with autism, and so was that your inspiration? Yes. Uh, Tried and Tested, actually... um, my daughter, Jubadia, and I, we, we wrote that book together. Oh, okay. um, it was her idea, and uh, we went with it. She, you know, came up with the, the idea of, you know, the, just the, telling is, other is, people about um, what we go through um, in our family. Is and that introducing the, the, them. Is that your book, Hen's Hands? Hen's Hands, a Hens, story, Hens, about, a story about autism. Okay, so, and, and so you're older daughter who does not have autism she has a a sibling with autism she wanted to help tell the story yeah yeah okay Okay. um 
I'm I'm sorry. You were you were, you can continue. You said so. She yeah. came up and she she wanted to write a story with you. Yes. Well, she wanted to write the story, and at the time she was, I think, eight, mm. and so I had to assist her assist her with the story. Um, but it it was really from just conversations. We, you know, my daughter Hen, she is autistic and epileptic and globally delayed. And, you know, bringing her out into the Muslim community, um, oftentimes, um, you, you know, and not just into the Muslim community, but into the, the larger neighborhood as well in, 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 the, in the community, um, there's still a lot of ignorance about autism. Mm. Um, and especially in the Muslim community, even though um, we know that they are there, the children are there, we see them, but there's, there's not a lot of conversation. Mm. And so I would remind her that, you know, don't be mad if people say something rude or, or if they say something hurtful to your sister. What your job is as the older sister is to, um, to inform people and to create dialogue and to help them to learn about who she is. And that's when Hen Hands came, because that was something that we would often do with Hen. We would, you know, she, she would get overwhelmed. She has a lot of sensory issues. We would play with her hands and we'd play hand games and help to calm her down and became mm. something very soothing that her older sister, and Juadia is five years older than him. So she's, you know, she's, there's a big gap between the two of them. It was something that she was able to learn to do to help her sister. And we wanted to teach that. Um, and use it as a learning tool for the larger Muslim community, and then also use the book as a conversation starter. And so, ha- and has it been that? Is it what? Tell me a little bit about um, Hen's Hands and how it's been received, and if you think that it's met and have has it started the conversations? Do you um, that needs to be that needs to happen? Oh, absolutely. Um, one of the things that we've done with Hen's Hands. We've kept it under ten dollars. Um, we've donated books, you know, so that parents and families of children with autism that it's readily available. It's not expensive. We donate the book to Muslim uh, schools and mass massages all over the country, as well as in Canada, um, so that this book is a conversation starter and people can see it and read it and start talking about autism in um, our community, especially with children. Mm. And when, when and, and if you don't mind, can you um, tell me about some of the the conversation that you have with you? You did talk a little bit about you talked with your older daughter about what her responsibility is just by the nature of having a sister with autism <laughs> Um in that conversation with your daughter, do do you talk to her about other um, other aspects of autism? Is it just like how Hen's autism displays itself, or is and is that conversation also in the book about how there's different levels of autism? Talk to me a little bit about autism and that journey of having other children to um, to embrace it and understand the differences. Yes, we do definitely in the book. We try to, uh, we touch on that autism just means that um, a God, the most highly has made these people to learn and to act and to think differently than other kids their age. Mm-hmm. Um, but that Allah still loves them and that they were, they were sent to this world with a purpose. And Juadia, she just turned 16, so she definitely has, has graduated into an autism advocate. <laughs> um, we, she takes classes 
uh, with her sister. She goes to the doctor's appointment. She reads books. And I think as a parent um, with a child with autism and then with children who are not autistic, it's, it has always been important to me that they're learning along with me. Mm. You know, um, Hens is now 11 years old. She's not five anymore. So it's it's like as she continues to grow, we all have to learn with her the new things. And so that's an ongoing conversation. It's an ongoing learning experience for us. And we're always talking about the best ways that we can assist and be um, there for him and learn with her. Your book, Hins- and then as well, teaching the community. Your book, Hens Hands, what age range is that book geared towards? Um, Hens Hands, it, it, it would de- it's definitely... Um, a read aloud book, so you can read it to preschoolers, kindergartners. But for reading purposes, it would be appropriate for your elementary school children between the grades, ages of grades, um, fourth grade through sixth grade. Okay, all right. And it's and it's also is would it also be considered urban Muslim fiction? What's the genre for it? Um, definitely, we try to keep everything with the urban Muslim flair. And to make sh- sure that it is culturally relevant to urban Muslims, um, because you know we're we're a large portion of the Muslim community in America, but often um, the literature that is out there is not geared towards us. So I, I, it's, it's my definitely my call, my mission to make urban Muslim um, fiction mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. from early readers all the way up to your 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 adult novels that it is culturally relevant to the Muslims um, in America. And so, and that actually brings me to uh, your new initiative, Muslim Girls Read. So mm-hmm. it, you, you have, you've pioneered the, the, the industry, uh, the um, genre of urban Muslim fiction. And we talked a little bit about you felt it was important that people see themselves inside of um, inside of the books that they read. So tell us a little bit about this literacy, literacy initiative Muslim Girls Read. So I, I also tutor. I tutor online and I, I work, um, you know, I've worked all over the world um, as uh, English language arts teacher and uh, professor and uh, with Muslims and non-Muslim children. Um, so I talked to a lot of parents about, um, reading and what, what I found out is that, you know, in the Muslim community that, um, especially Muslim girls, there's not a lot of reading going on. Parents would tell me, oh, she's struggling to write. And I I would say the first thing I say, well, does she read? Hmm. You know, you're talking to me about this essay. But the essay means that you have something to say. (laughs) (laughs) So in order to have something to say, you need, you, you have to have something in your mind. And usually we get ideals from reading. Mm. It's, it's still, it's, it's still your first, whatever, with whether you're into science or math, you need to read those things. Mm. So, um, and then we found out that Muslim families don't have Muslim fiction. Mm. What are they reading? Um, she goes to the library. She doesn't find anything she wants to read. Okay. Are you buying Muslim fiction? Mm. Mm, that's a problem. Mm. So, um, once we saw that, and then it was, uh, there was another situation um, where um, a family, there was a sister, she had, uh, she had a fire in her house, and her daughter's books had burned, 
and she was saying that, you know, they were living in a, in a shelter and if anybody could send her books for her mm. daughter, because her daughter loved to read. Mm. And so that was the last situation where I said um, to, to another one of my writing friends that, okay, we need to do something about this. Mm. Uh, Muslims are not, Muslim children in America are not reading. Mm. We talk a lot about illiteracy um, around the world, but not a lot is being done to address uh, literacy in urban communities, whether we're talking about um, non-Muslims or Muslim. Mm. Um, so since I write Muslim fiction, I decided that there, ne- there needs to be an initiative to get Muslim girls and boys reading and thinking and eventually making important impacts in their own community and the world around them. Mm. So we focus on inner-city Muslim communities mm. with Muslim Girls Read. That's just the name of it. We also we send books to boys as well. Our main goal, inshallah, down the road is to establish a fund, a regular fund, where we are sending out um, books to Muslim communities, to schools in in inner-city Muslim communities regularly. So we started this Ramadan with our first fundraiser, and we raised $855 to buy books. Hmm. And those books are going to two books, two Muslim schools. Um, We have a school... um, in Baltimore, Maryland, and then one school in L.A. Mm. And and so when you you purchase books, so the 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 genre of urban Muslim liter um, literacy we talked about you pioneering, but it has it has expanded a lot in the last decade. Yes. So recently. Yes. Um, one of the one of uh, another writer that I'm familiar with, Umzakia, she actually created a movie around uh, um, um, uh, a movie kind of in the same vein of 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 urban Muslim fiction. Um, and so that's a huge step in this genre. When you yeah. the the Muslim girl read um, literacy project, do you. Are, do you get books from across the the spectrum, kind of like geared towards are men? Are there urban Muslim fiction around the issues that men in urban America, Muslim men, is that? I don't know. I'm, I'm a little tongue tied. Let me let me let me rephrase that. Are one are there male writers that have contributed to this genre, and is there stories around the urban Muslim male perspective in America? I, I heard the one, the male perspective, and I will definitely throw out a good friend of mine, um, Nashi Jackson. He is an urban Muslim fiction writer, and um, he his book is called Her Justice, and I will have a review of, of it. Also, Malik Salam from Atlanta, Georgia. He was also a, um, a deaf poet from the whole Russell Simmons community of poetry and jams that happened back in the early 2000s. So Malik Salam, and he's also a, a filmmaker down in Atlanta. Um, he has the book Sunna, and you can get that on Amazon.com, good friend of mine. And then Nashi Jackson, he had uh, Her Justice came out about two years ago. So there's definitely, um, and also Tahib Adujuma, who is Nigerian-American. Tahib, he has Ram- love in uh, Ramadan. Mm. Um, and that also, Tohid Adujuma. Okay, and and so all and of these, all of these, Nigerian American, Tohid Adujuma. He is Nigerian American in New York City. 
Now, all of the the writers that you just mentioned, it is is it it's still this genre of urban Muslim fiction. I'm sorry. All of the writers that you just mentioned, the male writers, is it still the same genre of urban Muslim fiction? I, I yeah, definitely. I, Malik Salam is definitely urban Muslim fiction. I would say Malik Salam is is uh, a throwback to your Donald Goins, um, where I would say it's he's more street. Muslim fiction, like you, you, we have different subcategories, right? You have your urban fiction, and then you have like you know later years coming out with like um, Wahida Clark. She had the whole Thug um, series. Um, so and uh, okay, so, so, so will definitely would be like. Uh, I'm sorry. So what is so what's the difference between urban Muslim f- fiction and street fiction? Yeah. So. Um, <laughs> well, urban is, is, is just a hodgepodge of, we're talking about the culture and some of those, um, distinct things that would make it urban okay. because it's in an inner city. It has, um, a lot of minorities would be in that, that's the book because in, the, you know, in the inner city, um, there are, are more minorities. So you'll see minorities, you'll see a, a distinct speech pattern, right? So the vernacular will also give uh, w- a way to prove that it's urban Muslim fiction. So you're talking about speech, you're talking about some culture, you're talking about uh, location, right? But then when we get into some of the subcategories where you have your sub, you know, street stories or street lit is what they call it, um, you're talking about a different, a, a lifestyle, a sub-lifestyle within urban culture, Right. Uh, so you have people who live in the inner city who are, uh, you know, middle class America or working class Americans who are, you know, teachers and and bus drivers and things like that. But, but you also have an undercurrent within the inner city as well, where some people are drug dealers or felons in jail who live a lifestyle that it is um, more in line with street life. Okay. But they still interact with the larger urban community. Okay. All right. I get it. Okay. (laughs) That's a good, that's a good distinction. And so, um, so you know what kind of uh, book you're picking up when you, when you uh, go in to read. Um, (laughs) So absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. So Malik Salami, I would say that he's definitely an adult um, Muslim fiction writer. (laughs) Okay. Not not something you want to give to your, your elementary student. (laughs) (laughs) All right. That's okay. So that so that's really interesting. So this is really a genre that has taken off. So it's, it's, it comes from from lots of different perspectives. Then, oh, absolutely, absolutely. What, and it's a beautiful thing to see where you know um, when you see that um, the genre is is branching out and it's it's growing and it's it's reaching all sorts of people and all sorts of lifestyles. Because we say you know the the revert community. Um, you know, those who revert into Islam, who convert into Islam, they, 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 you know, and even the people who, who are born Muslim, you know, we come from all walks of life. Mm, very true. And so I feel they, they should be represented in literature. Very true. Their stories, people should be able to connect to the characters organically. Uh, absolutely. Oh, what do you see as the, the future of this, this genre? Oh, so many good things are coming, alhamdulillah. Um, mashallah, it is growing. And you mentioned Um Zakia, and I always I always tell people that, you know, she she preceded me. Um, her book, I was in high school when I first read her book. 
mm-hmm. right? Um, so she she definitely pioneered the whole Muslim fiction, and that's what she writes. I don't think she categorizes herself as an urban Muslim fiction author, but she definitely is um, a pioneer of M- American Muslim fiction. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's another distinction, but she, she's prolific, and uh, she continually writes good, good, good fiction, and she's definitely helping to advance um, the genre and to broaden it with, um, on film and things of, of that nature. Um, the Size of a Mustard Seed was on, uh, we did take that into the play form. I did that at Harvard mm. at the School of Divinity um, two years ago, the play, The Size of a Mustard Seed. And um, we're currently working on the script for Tried and Tested. To, to, to convert it into a play? The script will be for um, a film. Okay, so because that was actually going to be my next question is that do you see yourself uh, actually changing your writing into a visual art um, like in film? And so is that your is that what your goal is for your? We've been approached by so many different wonderful people within the community here and abroad. And it really for me was always about finding the right um, connection for it to go in, in that direction. Um, so I'm, I'm very mindful of who I, I work with. And, um, you know, so Alhamdulillah, we, you know, we have a good group. I have a good connection right now with a production company, a Muslim woman owned production company that was also so really important to me. Um, you know, working with other artists in the Muslim community, artist community, um, other Muslim women and helping them to, um, to advance their own art, um, filmmakers, Muslim women filmmakers, there's a lot of them out there. So um, making that connection with other Muslim women who are artists, um, visual artists, was, was really important to me. So we have that right now, and, and we're working on that. And inshallah, we'll be filming in 2018. Oh, excellent. So we are down to the last few minutes of the show. And I want to thank you so much for coming on. And this was really interesting, even hearing about your creative process and this and introducing a, a new genre into the literary world. Can you tell our uh, listeners two things? Where can they purchase your books and where can they get in touch with you? What was the last question? Where can they purchase the book? And, well, and how can, can they, they get in touch with you if they want to get in touch with you? Oh. All right. So the books are sold and, um, and I'm, 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 you know, I'm, I'm an educator. So I'm going to say if you're in the United States, go to your library and request Muslim fiction. My books, as well as any other of uh, the plethora of Muslim authors out there. Um, and I'll, I'll throw out some names. We have Um Zakia. We have Sahar Abdulaziz. We have Malik Salam and um, Nishi Jackson. So many others. Zara, Jay, my sister Zara. Um, go to the library and request our books. If they don't have them, ask them to order them. Very simple. All they have to do is to go into a catalog and order them. And so that ensures that other Muslims, um, children and youth and adults, in your community can read those books. Second, you can get my books, Barnes and Noble, Amazon.com, um, Islamic bookstore.com has it as well. Um, 
And those are the main places to get them. You can also order my books directly from me. So if you would like a signed copy and you can email me at umjuwayria, that's U-M-M-J-U-W-A-Y-R-I-Y-A-H at gmail.com for any uh, signed copies of my books. Awesome. Thank you so much for joining us. And thank every, I would like to thank all of our listeners for listening. You've been listening to Mornings with Mubaraka, where we talk about national issues from a local level through a lens of diversity here on WNHHLP 103.5 FM, New Haven's home for community radio. I want to remind you to be a voice and not an echo. Until next Wednesday.